Softball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. <laughs> and here we are. Nosebleeds. How about that? A production of WFUV Sports. You can hear the Bruins goal horn. It's almost hockey season. A little prelude. Give it to me. To five on three. Baseball I'm, season's over. Baseball season is <laughs> over, over, especially if you are the Yankees and the Mets. How about that fade out? It was great. That was special, That Jack. was great Get audio behind the board. That was really something there, Jack Warner. But I'm Will Talent. Yes, Alongside me is Jack Warner and Lou Orlando. That was a little prelude for five on three, our NHL and hockey podcast coming back next to week. the studio next week. I'm so excited. So, just a little plug and play there. But let's talk some shop. Let's talk some baseball, boys. We'll start with the Yankees to open our show. Garrett Cole, he's been phenomenal. Probably going to be the unanimous American League Cy Young. And Michael King, the Yankees may have found a new starter in Michael King. Then we'll switch gears. We will go cross town to Queens. Talk about the Mets, a little bit of a situation going on there with a former player of this year in Tommy Pham. Made some comments in an article on The Athletic, and we'll head over to the NL Cy Young race, which is almost wrapped up, but not quite. Still some more candidates out there rather than in the American League. And we will finish off our production today with who we think is going to replace Haim Bloom in Boston. But first, Jack Lou, how are you guys doing today? I'm honestly, this is my nosebleeds debut. Believe it or not, I've done a summer. I've done a summer full of Mets wow. beat reporting, and there's been other times where I was scheduled to be on nosebleeds. I think there was actually one or two of them, and um, both of them at some point in time fell through. So finally, I am here. And even this morning, this was supposed to be recorded at 9 a.m. Even now, we're here at at 5:40 p.m. recording. So it seems like whenever I'm on the Nosebleeds cast, something may go haywire. But we're here. We're recording. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to talk about this stuff with you guys. We had to do a little bit of rescheduling yeah. today. Lou Orlando makes it onto the uh, roster. I wasn't supposed to be here. today. Jack Warner, though, <laughs> Mets beat reporter. Be He's got content. Welcome, Jack. Debut on Nosebleeds, but Lou Orlando, not a debut for you. How no. are you, man? I'm okay. I think like less than a week ago, I was like, they, I told Jack, I was like, there are million things I would rather do than be on nosebleeds and here I am and I'm excited believe it or not uh Yankees are bad but I haven't really had a chance to like ever like come on it's been a while it's been like two months since I've been on nosebleeds so I'm actually like very happy it's been a while to be here and I love you boys I love you men I love you guys you are men. great guys and I'm excited boys too so bad I'm, I'm reneging my old sentence that I don't want to be on nosebleeds I do I do want to be reneging Great word. I don't think he really wants to talk about the Yankees or the Mets. I might. To be I don't honest. know. I might. And like, I would have let's to just agree. Feel it out. Okay. Yeah. Let's I feel could. it out. I. You know. I wouldn't be opposed to it. You know. We both when covered the Yankees. We we have sure some do. content to share. Be there Sunday. Yeah, same. All three of us, including Brian Raybacks as well. Brian Jack Rayback's. Warner. He's got some content to share with the New York Mets over in Queens. But guys, let's let's start right now in our home borough of the BX, the Yankees. It's really. Only going to boil down to Garrett Cole now. The Yankees, they win yesterday by a score of 5-3. to three, A little bit of a nail-biter. Clay Holmes, he put almost the entire Blue Jays roster on base in the ninth inning. And the Yankees still came out with a 5-3 to three victory. But wins are neither here nor there. They don't really matter for the Yanks anymore. It's all about Garrett Cole. Cole 
he was phenomenal yesterday. Eight innings pitched, just two hits, one run, no walks. Something to note from a lot of his starts this year, not allowing a lot of free bases and nine strikeouts. He hit the 200 innings pitch threshold for the sixth time of his career. And Jack, 14-4, and four, a 2.75 ERA. That's the best in the American League. This, in my opinion, needs to be a unanimous decision. I know it probably won't be because he's Garrett Cole and because it's the Yankees. And someone in the Toronto market will probably throw a bone to Kevin Gaussman because he's probably going to lead the league in strikeouts. But Garrett Cole, he will ultimately end up with his first career Cy Young award. And you think about it, you know, the Cy Young is a league-wide award, right? It's to highlight the best pitcher in the American League or the best pitcher in the National League. But even if you look at it from a team standpoint, what made, I think, Garrett Cole's reign this year all the more impressive is if you look around the Yankees pitching staff, right, just disaster everywhere, both on the field and off, between Jimmy Cordero and Domingo Herman with disciplinary issues, with you know Luis Severino having a historically awful year this year. Garrett Cole was really the only guy in this Yankees rotation that you knew no matter what the caliber of the lineup you were facing, the Yankees were going to have a fighting chance. He left it up to the remainder of his team. He always did his part this year to keep the Yankees in ball games. He didn't just win. You know, being a starting pitcher, you only get one start every however many games. So he can only do so much in terms of winning as many games as he can. But he, you pretty much always had a fighting chance the entirety of the season to have the Yankees be in a game that Garrett Cole was starting. I mean, you probably have a lot of Yankee fans that are considering getting into badminton now that the Yankees have been this bad the last <laughs> month and a half. But if you know, if you want something to make yourself smile, look at Garrett Cole's baseball reference game log and just look through oh, all the pretty. outings it's and just pretty. be like, oh man, we're lucky to watch this guy. Because that's what you are. You're lucky to get to watch Garrett Cole. I know it sucks that right now what looks like it's going to be a Cy Young season. He's going to win the Cy Young. I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen. Unanimously, we could have a conversation about, I don't know how irate I would be if it's not unanimous. Like, throw a bone to Sonny Gray, throw, throw a bone to Kevin Gosman as long as Cole gets the award, he deserves it. But, it do, right, it does suck that it comes in this season where it's like, do I even want to watch Yankees baseball? Mm. This is, feels like the worst Yankees season since, like, the 2013 team, right? Right. But you're so lucky to watch this guy. And in an outing against Toronto where they lost the first two games of the series, they still had, like, a fighting chance at the beginning of the series to, like, make the playoffs. Not really. But, like, Cole has to go out there and, like, secure his Cy Young spot and, like, deal. And he goes eight innings. Oh, and do- just dominates. Secures like, it and then some. Oh, he's elite. That's awesome. He's still elite. It's great. Yeah, it's just something great. It's It gives Yankee fans at least something to smile about every fifth day through this pretty treacherous season that the Bombers have put together. But they definitely, as Aaron Boone was talking about yesterday postgame, have gotten some great ROI from Garrett Cole in his first four seasons as the Yankees. The return on investment has definitely worked out for Hal Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman, and the crew over there. Uh, definitely worth every single penny. Um, I'm not going to be hell-bent if he doesn't go unanimous. He's going to win the award. I'm just saying that as like an overall aspect of this award, that's very honorable, and he definitely fits the criteria. I don't, I don't see a lot of guys that could 
match up with Garrett Cole and say, yeah, I'll give him he's, a first He's the vote. best pitcher in the American League. He's the only one that's gone 200 innings. Yep. I also just think it's nice for him because, well, I'm sure you remember coming into this season the way fans were talking about Garrett Cole and, like, why are we paying him all this money when we have Nestor Cortez, who's a better pitcher than him? And it's like, well, look how that turned out. Garrett Cole is consistently yeah. the best pitcher on this staff. And you did feel like he kind of needed a year to be like, show up and shut them up, and that's exactly what he what he did. Yeah. And I, and shutting them up is crazy, too, because this is a guy that has finished top 10 in Cy Young. He's always been elite. Been, every year that he's been with the Yankees. Uh, like you want to loop him with, like, it's like the A-Rod thing where it's like fans complained about him because the team didn't have success, and you loop in the guy that's getting a ton of money is supposed to lead them to success. And it's like, yes, when they got Cole, it was like, all right, this is the guy that's supposed to, like, Pitching's been our issue, and now we have the best pitcher in baseball, and it's like we're supposed to be this World Series team now. Obviously, that didn't happen, and a lot of the blame, they look to Cole. He's it's It's been a gift for the Yankees to have this guy on his staff, yeah. and it's going to continue to be a gift. The other thing that really blows my mind after doing a little bit of reading last night is obviously the the main three contenders. I know there's there can be multiple, but as it stands right now, a lot of people are looking in the direction of Garrett Cole, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray. That's the that's three of, you know, some your highest profile contenders. And when you look at the stat comparisons between the two of them or the three of them, they're not even what I find so crazy that makes uh Garrett Cole not only a unanimous Cy Young, I mean not only a sure Cy Young, but a unanimous Cy Young is not only that he throws the most innings, not even that he just has the lowest ERA of the three. It's that he has a considerably lower, you combine the two, he has a considerably lower ERA and has had more innings of work than the other two. He's thrown, he's thrown just under 30 more innings than Sonny Gray and has a, has a ERA nine points better than him. And he's thrown you know, just under 20 innings more than Luis Castillo and has, a, has he beats Castillo by f- like 40 points of ERA. So it's it's really telling when two of the most important you know points of reference for the decision of a Cy Young he covers both of them and with ease. Can I give you a little prediction? This this won't be the only Cy Young he wins with the Yankees. I agree with he's that. Gonna get, I, I, he's going to get you a Cy Young in the year that the Yankees are good and the Yankee fans are going to feel a whole lot better. I think right like this right now it's like a nice little treat after you had a really bad day and like you're all oh, yeah. cut up and bruised. You're a the kid. Of the year. You got knocked off your scooter. You got cuts all over your knees, and you get the little ice cream. That's what this is. <laughs> There's going to be a year where you get the ice cream because you got all, you got all A's, made the principals list and stuff. And we're going to get that second Cole sign, and it's going to be awesome. This season though is like you fall off your scooter and then you it's pick good the analogy. scooter back up. Yep. And then it's like not on the ground, and it whips around, and it hits you. And the shit, right the shit. Blasts oh. you. You oh, are cooked, no. my friend. That was this year, pretty much. That yeah, pretty much. That sums it up for the Yankees. You, you break got, your tibia. Yeah, you got smoked, <laughs> falling off of your scooter, and then recovered, and then blasted your shin. It's so, like, it, can I can I throw one more out there? Of course. It's like going to the gym for a nice workout, and then allegedly falling on the treadmill and hurting yourself. <laughs> And then not being able to make your right. later engagements. But then, like, the treadmill explodes. But then the treadmill like, explodes. You gotta go having all sorts forever. of problems in the way. The scooter right explodes, whatever you gotta. Yeah. You know. Stuff happens. It, stuff does happen. It's a good analogy. Stuff. You got such does a crazy happen. imagination. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> crazy. Whatever is going on in the Let's mind. Keep pulling of the stuff from, Right? Yeah. From out in left field. How about from out in left field? How well, about it? it really wasn't out in left field because the projection 
was that it would be cool if he was a starter because he had starter stuff. And he has clearly found his way in the bullpen for the Yankees. And he is Michael King. It's not only out in left field. It's not out in left field because the bullpen is in right field. (laughs) Well, maybe he's away. Could be. Good point. Very good you point. Know, you yep. don't know. You don't know where Michael King is. Don't know where the field is. Don't. Know. I know where that he. I know where he threw thirteen Ks the other night. Though he this did thirteen strikeouts in his fourth start in a row. I believe he's made. Let's count them up. One, two, three. Not fourth. I'm way off. Sixth start in a row. He's made seven starts for the Yankees, and they've progressively gotten better. They've opened the, him. A few times, like you have a couple starts here where he's going two and two thirds. I would even say four innings is close to being an opener. But once he hit that fourth inning mark, he's then ramped it up. He went five, five, four and two thirds and then seven. So he's throwing more pitches. He's throwing more innings. And his ERA is lowering. 13 strikeouts against the Blue Jays. The Yankees, they lost the game six to one. King had only one earned run and he's only given up. Let's see. Four earned runs in his five starts. Sorry. In his last six consecutive starts, only four earned runs. Mm. Guys, this is somebody who is going to fill a spot for the Yankees in their rotation in 2024. I think that they've found their one of their guys in the rotation. It's a question mark that really isn't a question mark. He obviously has the stuff. He can go the distance if he needs to. I really like this from Michael King and for the Yankees in the future. Right. I think the big debate is, well, he's so valuable out of the pen. He gives you the length out of the pen. He can give you those two innings in a big situation. But having an elite starting pitcher is way more valuable. And you see that, look at the way that relievers are paid compared to starters. Right. So if Michael King can be the guy that he was in the bullpen over a five to seven inning stretch, as we saw against Toronto, like, holy cow, that's a, that's a huge asset and a huge addition for the New York Yankees without actually having to go out and get a guy. Right. Right. That's you a guy that you're able, you're able to develop him into a starter. You said he's a guy that, you know, initially began his career as a starter, but that was before he really had that full pitch mix yep. that we saw him develop in the bullpen. Didn't have that sinker. So it's exciting time. to see him have this full pitch mix, use it as a starter. Because, again, you look at the Yankees staff and you have no idea if they're bringing back Severino what that would mean if they do bring him back. What kind of guy is Severino going to be? You got questions about Nestor with all the injuries he's dealt with. Rodon's been a disaster this season. You know, there's so many questions, I think, with the Yankees pitching staff that it's like, hey, if you can get Michael King slotted into a nice starting pitching role, I think that at least helps you going into next year with all the questions you have. Well, and not only for a depth piece, because again, health has been a serious problem for the Yankees pitching staff this year, but I think. The other thing that makes Michael King specifically look a little more valuable is that, you know, they kind of took a test drive in the beginning of the season with some of the health problems that I was just mentioning by having some of their guys who were primarily bullpen, aka Clark Schmidt, who ended up having to fill starting roles and really have to not really be eased into the job either, really have to start hit the ground running. And there were some days where it worked and there were some days where it was very, very ugly. So I really think that there's also almost a a greater value considering there was such mixed results with having pen guys brought in as starters that when you finally see someone out of the pen who can give you any range of innings that you could imagine, I think it gives you a great sense of relief and it also, I think, almost gives it a more perceived, it makes you perceive more value in it. I think it's another example of finally 
another homegrown piece that the Yankees can use that is very valuable, something that they haven't been able to accomplish while Aaron Judge has been with the Yankees. Nestor Cortez, you could say he's a homegrown guy, so it's nice to see that guys are getting opportunities with the Yankees that they actually developed, and they're becoming good pitchers. Michael King has, as you were saying, Lou, completely developed who he is as a pitcher, not just as a specific pitcher, meaning relief or starter, just as a pitcher in general. Did not have that sinker when he first started games, moved him to the bullpen. And another note that you were saying, Lou, you love him in those two inning spots, but how about you get that three times over in one game from Michael King? Definitely something that I'm very happy about. I'm excited about it. Clark Schmidt, you bring him up, Jack. Perfect guy to bring up right now because that is another example of a Michael King. Um, not a, Not the same situation, but one thing that I was a big, um, I guess, proponent of was giving Clark Schmidt a bona fide role, whether that be in the bullpen or as a starter, not both, one or the other. And as a starter, he's been very solid. Mm-hmm. He's been very solid. He's not. He hasn't been electric, but he has gone five, six, seven innings. And has definitely grown throughout the year. Totally has grown throughout the year, completely maxed his innings that he's ever thrown and um, it's it's great to see. So Michael King and Clark Schmidt moving forward, I think they need to have opportunities in 2024 immediately in the rotation. And you've seen Matt Blake develop bullpen arms from seemingly Scratch. anywhere. Like, yeah. and, you know, we've gotten really good production out of guys in the bottom of our bullpen. Like, I sometimes make fun of Nick Ramirez in our friend group, but like Nick Ramirez has had solid outings, and that was like, I don't know, maybe the worst reliever in your bullpen, like that or Greg Weiser. Yeah. Like, this team Ian is, Hamilton. This team is correct. Ian Hamilton this year. This team has shown the ability to develop bullpen arms off the scrap heap time and time again. It's a little bit harder to do that with starting pitchers. Not that they yeah. haven't done it. I think you look at some of the reclamation projects they've had from what they've turned Nestor into. What I know Clark is different because Clark was supposed to be a big pitching prospect. First but round pick, yeah. Where you felt about him a couple years ago to where he is right now this season. I mean, heck, even... The way you felt about him at the beginning of this season, the first month, to what he ended up being, one of the most reliable starters in this rotation. Definitely. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of reason to be confident about Clark and King in the rotation moving forward, and I think that they've you know, they've earned the chance to be in that starting rotation. I think they're going to have to fight for it, depending on who they bring in and you know when guys come back for injuries. But like, we're getting excited about Michael King. Like... King and Schmidt both deserve the opportunity to to fight to be in that starting rotation next year. Definitely. And I'd be excited if they were in it. I would be excited if the rotation wound up being Cole Rodon, Cortez, Schmidt, King, and that's how you go into 2024. I wouldn't even touch the starting pitcher market unless you want to get someone to fill in for a start. But you don't even need to do that. You have Randy Vasquez. They have options. You can go to Johnny Brito. If Luis Heel exists again, that'd be cool. You know, he was real. He used to be a guy. He was a guy. <laughs> he really was a guy. I wish Debbie Garcia, too, was, you know... Debbie Garcia of 2020, but can't have everything. You just can't. I think the Yankees pitching situation is going to be a lot nicer. In You'll have a lot more depth next year. Like it's it's exciting to have Vasquez. Yeah. Vasquez will probably have a, a more legit like sixth man role in the sense Definitely. of like they're not going to do a six man rotation. But like if a guy ever dropped out, like you're probably seeing Vasquez in that rotation. Yeah, Brito is still a guy that has shown you flash. Like you're going to have options where unless they get ravaged with injuries, which is hey. I mean, it could happen again. Um, you have guys in that rotation that you feel comfortable with stepping up. And Brito has really 
taken over from Michael King, I want to say. Mm-hmm. He's not as dominant, but he'll give you three, four innings out of the bullpen, and it, he'll be sharp. He's done it multiple times this season. So He's got me, a nice, like, two two to three pitches, really like, two good pitches that, like, should play in the bullpen. Yeah, good changeup that moves a mm-hmm. lot, good Change breaking special. ball, and a live fastball, and it's worked out for him. I think he's been a lot better when he's not in the first inning. The Yankees like those good changeups. They do like those like good changeups. Like in the pen. Look at Tommy Canely. Ian Hamilton's Ian got Hamilton's that weird like great change up. Yeah, I think the Yankees pitching is going to be fine, especially with Cole. I mean, with King and, and Schmidt. The Yankees pitching has been uh, fine this year. Like, it, it really has. It, it's still one of the best bullpens in baseball, which is crazy. A team that's not even at 80 wins yet. But that's enough about the Yankees now, though. Their season is pretty much over. The highlight is going to be that Garrett Cole wins the American League Cy Young. Stan Coates are sad. Yeah, it's just, you know. It that was sad. a tough press conference to watch. Yeah. He's always just so... It, He's very. I just want to talk about. I respected his. He's just so accountable all the time, and you really it this year. He wants to be great. Kind of just feel it does feel like a breaking point with the fan base, where like he had built up so much respect with them after getting unnecessarily hated his first couple years to having a huge back-to-back postseasons and, like, willing the Yankees to the postseason in 2021. Yep. Literally can't pitch to him in Fenway. Built up so much respect, and, like, to have this season go down the way it is where it's like, is he healthy? Because if he is healthy, like, that's really scary that he's hitting that bad. And I was like, his swing looks the same, and he still hits the ball hard, but he's hitting 188. It's like I don't even want to think about it. it. Makes me really sad. And it being the season where he turns the f- he turned the final corner towards possibly hitting 500 home runs. Yeah. Yeah. He hit his 400th. I do think if health isn't an issue, I I, I do think he'll hit 500 home runs. I think we'll get but there. the question will be with who? With who? Because yeah. I do not. Th- it, it. I give it one more season to see what the hell his deal is. If if we get another lackluster season out of John Carlos Stanton, he will not be hitting that 500th home run for the New York I mean, but, but heck, even like next year, right, like if the Yankees decide to do what the Phillies did with Bryce Harper, with Jason Dominguez, and say, hey, when you're ready and you can't hurt your arm, but you're also not able to throw, but we want to get, get you at bats, guess what? He's only going to be able to be a DH. I don't think Jason Dominguez knows how to play first base, so that's no. not an option, right? Yep. So... That yeah. that might be a situation where it's like, hey, Stan, we're either gonna have to stick you in the outfield, or you might not be like that. Might be a breaking point in its own right. If uh, he is that bad at that point, then that's definitely a question. Right now, though, I think that's a golden opportunity for Giancarlo to be like, all right, I need to keep my spot on the team because this twenty-year-old who has no business taking my job right now can take my mm-hmm. job and then force me off this team, and then when he's healthy, he won't even play the position that I get paid to play. So I think that's. Perfect motivation for Giancarlo Stanton. He is definitely, as you said, Lou, always accountable for when he does not meet the mark, but not his best season. Milestone achieved. Would like to see him bounce back and would like to see the Yankees bounce back entirely. You could see when they're when they're healthy, they can make a little bit of noise. There's still some holes. They're not going to make a total lot of noise, but what they need is to find out when Aaron Judge is down How are we not going to bottom out? That's what the Yankees need to find in this offseason. If Aaron Judge is not on our roster or in our lineup, we cannot go 0-20 or whatever (laughs) the case may be. You cannot let your season just fall by the wayside. They were 11 games over 500 in June, and Judge goes down, and they have yet to even come close to that point, and they will not. So 2024 on the horizon for the Yankees. Another team across town now. 2024, definitely on the horizon, and that is the New York Mets. Former 
New York Met. Tommy Pham got traded at the deadline to the Arizona Diamondbacks. He will be at Yankee Stadium this weekend. He had some interesting comments to say about the Mets clubhouse. Kind of showing, um, I guess, a little bit of source to um, some allegations that had been thrown around this season as to what the Mets clubhouse has been like overall. Um, He didn't note anybody, but he kind of just said in general, out of all the teams I've played on, this is fam talking, this is the least hardworking group of position Mm -hmm. players I've ever played with. That is a stinger. That is a stinger. You don't want to hear that if you're the New York Mets. Um, To Tommy Pham, there was clearly something going on. And just overall, just as the New York Mets, forget Tommy Pham, you don't want anybody saying that about your team, especially if they had just been with the same group that is still there right now. So with Tommy Pham specifically, obviously this, this comment is something that really catches your eye and it's quite the headline. But I could not be less shocked that a quote like this is coming from a player like Tommy Pham, and that is for two reasons. First of all, there's always drama surrounding Tommy Pham. There's always some sort of drama. I mean, hell, he punched someone in the face during batting practice in the outfield over a fantasy football dispute. Did not like Jock Peterson. Yes, that's right. It was Jock Peterson. That's right. Not his friend, not his cousin. Right. So don't misuse the IR spot. Exactly. Don't do that. Exactly. There's money on the line, man. Clearly. But second of all, and this is this I gained a better understanding for the more that I did reporting for the games at City Field, is it was it became more and more evident to me as the season went on what Tommy Pham's role was there. And it never felt like he was yes, he was hitting and scoring runs for the New York Mets. But it never felt like he was a New York Mets guy. Now, I only got that understanding when I was in the clubhouse because you would look around and you would see, you know, different you, you would see different players interacting with one another, answering questions together. Really, there's a certain vibe to the clubhouse. And then there was always a sort of isolation over near Tommy Pham's locker. And what I always kind of realized I I didn't realize this until post trade deadline that like I really do think he knew his role there was temporary he was look he's a great ball player and he was very valuable for the Mets this year as a rental player that's that's basically what he was so even though I don't love these comments coming out of him I'm not gonna be like well how is he in the place to say that because frankly for majority of this New York Mets season that has been a disaster this year, he was the only bat with a pulse in that lineup. <laughs> he was. Truthfully. Yeah. You had you had Alonso who was having an off year with regards to batting average. He was still hitting home runs like the power hitter he is. You had Lindor who for the first two-thirds of the season was very disappointing at the plate. So Tommy Pham is the only guy for majority of the Mets season while he was there, obviously pre-trade deadline, who supplied any kind of offense. I I think this comment's just it's a tough look for the Mets. Like I I know Tommy Pham's a character, and I think there are a lot of things he could have said about the Mets, where I would have just been like, it's Tommy Pham. There is kind of feels like there's drama that follows him everywhere. For him to talk about effort, I know that this season was a disaster for the Mets. That's not a secret for anyone. But like to him to hear him talk about effort, that's the lowest effort team he's ever played with, position player group that he's ever played with. For Fam, a guy that in my eyes was supposed to be a spark plug 
uh, on that Mets team, right? You know, 35-year-old outfielder that kind of has that fiery personality, kind of like, hey, boys, let's get it going type of stuff. A guy that probably was a little bit in tune with, hey, what's the pulse of this team? And what's been the vibe of the Mets this year? They feel dead. And maybe that's the feeling inside the clubhouse, too. And, like, I, I do kind of lean in to the Tommy Pham comments a little bit because I think if he had just said, man, this clubhouse was a mess or whatever, you know, the guys didn't get along, whatever. Like, you can look past that because this season was a disaster. It wasn't like the clubhouse, the guys in the clubhouse were going to be like, oh, everything's great, everything's peachy. Effort. We veer into a different territory where no matter what, if not only for yourself, you should be giving a lot of effort. For him to say that, it's a tough look for the Mets and maybe they have to look inward and yeah. maybe do a little bit of self-check. I'm kind of parted on this, to be honest, because both of you guys bring up great points. Um, the reason I'm kind of split here is because what you're saying, Jack, it's Tommy Pham. You notice the you know the ambiance of the clubhouse, um, but what you're saying too, Lou, it's like, yeah, this is definitely something to look at. But you have to keep in mind too, with who they have right now, it's going to change dra- drastically to next year. So you may not have these same problems. You got to think about the guys they traded away too that were in positions to um, try to win for the Mets, and it didn't work out. Now they're all gone, and they're going more of a younger route. So, But I do think right, it ties now. it ties into like the conversations earlier about, oh, are they trying to trade Alonzo? And conversations popped up about whether or not Alonzo's a good guy to have in the clubhouse. And it's right. like, look at the leaders of that position player group. It's Francisco Lindor and Pete, Pete Alonzo. Alonzo. If yep. those guys... and uh, I was a little bit skeptical of these two, but I think Jason Kipnis made comments about Francisco Lindor's not a leader. Like, that was a comment that was made earlier in the season where it's like, do we have to look at a leader? I think Francisco Lindor is a great—he was one of my favorite players for the last five, six years. Like, I love Francisco Lindor, and I enjoy watching Alonzo. I think he's a little goofy, but Alonzo's a great player. Are these the guys that you need leading your clubhouse? Do they need to get another leader in there? It's interesting you bring that up specifically because— the only two people that were mentioned by name in the statement from Tommy Pham were Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso. I mean, those are the two I'm sorry, big guys I'm in the sorry, I'm sorry, three names. And Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, and Brandon Nimmo. Oh. All right. Those were the three names that he excluded from the comment. Hmm. He said that though so he he added, yeah, he added that though that even though they were the least hardest working group of position players he had played with he mentioned that those three specifically uh, all worked hard see that changes things see so but, now it's the group around them and i think that's a much easier fix but here's but here's the other thing obviously it's a fiery comment but if you look at the new york mets this year alonzo had some ups and downs with his health where he had a couple brief exits where he took some where he had to take some games off but besides edwin diaz you didn't really have any serious, serious health issues for the Mets this year. Like, serious health issues. So, you we're still looking at a team with the highest payroll in baseball. We're still looking at a team that had majority of the talent, if not all of the talent, that they had from the previous year when they won over 100 games to this year. And the season was a disaster to the point where they then lose Verlander and Scherzer at the trade deadline because they won out. So... While I do think it's a fiery comment, and it may be very easy for people to be like, well, Tommy Pham's a jerk for throwing people, throwing his guys under the bus like that, it does make you wonder, they had the same talent this year as last year, and were a dumpster fire, and then even last year were a 100-win team that made a first-round exit. So maybe this, maybe there is some, there's some problem that 
he actually is very abrasively uncovering. But everyone, from what I read, because the New York Post wrote pretty passionately about it, because obviously they're going to defend their guys. But it sounds like every th- honestly the the Mets responses were pretty chill. They were denying the comp, like yeah. saying that that's not true. But you had Brandon Nimmo. He said, if this game was based on how hard people work, there would probably be a lot more people here. There's definitely an amount I have done a lot of guys. But ultimately, you've got to do whatever gets you ready for the season or for the game. And this year, the results didn't match what we were expecting. Whether we put in a ton of hard work or we didn't, that that all can be speculated. So he's saying that it's more of a results thing than an effort thing. But you're also, Nimmo has been a longtime leader of that Mets team. He came up young and has been a staple in that Mets franchise for as long as he's been there. So you're obviously not going to have somebody like him who's going to go, you know what, he may have a point. <laughs> you know, that's 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 not something that you can expect to happen. But um, even, even Buck Showalter kept his cool about it. He said Tommy's entitled to his opinion. Whatever works for one player may not work for another. However you want, whether the issue is effort or not, right, like, we can laugh at the Mets all we want, but you look at that roster, there's no way, even after the deadline, right, there's no way this team should have been that bad. Oh, it's ridiculous. So, clearly there's an issue somewhere, and I, maybe it's not effort, maybe it is. There's an issue that this team needs to fix, and they're going to get more, I think, before the season, in the offseason, they're going to get more comments like this. Guys are going to leave this team, and... They're going to have stories to tell about being on the 2023 New York Mets, and none of the stories are going to be good. Well, I think it's funny with Tommy Pham making this comment because, like you mentioned, the, the, there's no justification for how bad this team was this year. I think of the just south of 20 games that I covered this season, I think Tommy Pham was the only Mets batter that I would look up at the Jumbotron and they had and had an average above like yeah. 270. No, like, he's a good player for them. I, he, was, he was a good hitter for them. Um, and it, it it's it's ultimately unfortunate. It's an unfortunate situation. It gives us something to talk about. It, it happens with the Yankees too, though, right? Because like all of a sudden stuff came out with the Yankees minor league system, and all they're like obsessed with exit velocity and all these stories that came out. Yeah. All of a sudden, from guys like Ben Ruda that had like, three four years removed from the Yankees farm system, that all of a sudden the Yankees are bad, and these stories start to pop up. I know this is a little bit different because Tommy Pham was on the team this year, but like. These stories pop up when teams like the Mets and the Yankees are bad. Mm-hmm. Like that's the other part of it too. Yeah, they want to just you know continue the trend of the year, and they'll do whatever they can to keep that going. And if that's not beneficial for the team, it's just not beneficial for the team. I think overall the Mets are going to be fine because they're not going to bring a lot of those same guys back in the next year or two. This team that we're talking about so negatively right now is just going to be disbanded. It's not going to be the same. One guy they may remain as will segue into the next segment of our little Mets topic here. Edwin Diaz, not going to return this season. Something that was pretty um, obvious, in my opinion. Uh, I don't really think, I know in March he was like, yeah, we're going to come back and make a push. Obviously, there's no push to be made. But I think overall, I don't think he should have pitched at all this year. And he is not going to. Uh, To kind of tie the two together, Edwin Diaz, I know fans' comments were mainly about the position players, but Edwin Diaz you can consider as a leader of this team because when he is on the field, he is one of the, if not the, best closing pitchers in all of baseball. Uh, he won't come back this year. Their pitching coach, Jeremy Hefner, he said, it's. Uh, I'm not con- as concerned about the pitching. It's more about fielding. If we were in a different situation as a team, we would probably push to the point that he'd be pitching in games right now. That's a fair one. If you're in a playoff push, I think bringing back Edwin Diaz could definitely be on the table. However, I think you want him to 
fulfill this contract. You're paying $20 million for a guy to get three outs in one game every day. Not even. He won't even pitch every day. That's a lot of money for someone in the back end of a bullpen. I think, or just in the bullpen in general, uh, I think not having him throw at all, no matter what the circumstance was, would be would have been ideal. But definitely not going to pitch at all in 2023. This might be an oddly optimistic way to look at it, but the other reason why I don't, um, I, I I don't see any reason. The elephant in the room is that the Mets suck. There's no mm. reason. There's no reason that he should be at this point in the season, just coming off an injury that honestly I've seen several Mets games lost in the late innings. He could have been a difference maker this could year have been. for a several several games, and that leads to my point of the Mets can make a unique a uniquely good situation out of a pretty crappy season, and that is these last games. Yes, you need to go out there and for pride's sake. Play, play baseball and try to win. But I have I have the New York Mets bullpen this year, the back half of this New York Mets bullpen has been inspiringly awful. Terrible. I've I, I you never know what you're going to get when you I spent the first half of this Mets season going, "Wow, Grant Hartwig, this young kid who just came up, looks fantastic." Now, granted, he's young, he's got jitters, he's got things to straighten out. Back half of the season, wheels fell off entirely. Yeah, they traded Robertson too. They he traded their closer by committee go-to right. guy. They traded Robertson. You have Trevor Gott, who is incredibly unreliable and often has control issues. Yep. You have Phil Bickford, who actually I think has been very impressive so far. Um, ERA is a little higher than it probably should be, but for being brand new, he was also brought up this year. He's done a very nice job. The thing is, with the rest of this season and these games not meaning a, a single thing anymore, why would you risk the health of your best bullpen arm that you are going to need, that you tragically lost this season, when honestly, these these back half of the bullpen guys need innings. They need... Sam Coonrod also has not looked good. Got there are several... Cheese. So I keep... I keep yeah, exactly, and I keep so I keep throwing you guys names, and it's like you didn't even know that this, these guys started the season with the New York Mets. Yeah, I thought he was still with the Phillies. Right, Sam exactly. Coonrod. He was. Yeah. With, we saw he, him live. Yeah, we did see him live. Yeah. Um, so I watched him blow a save live. Yep. Um, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, that's besides the point. This is a unique situation where these last few games, yes, there should be an attempt to win these last games, but this is also should be an attempt just to see what the hell is wrong with the New York Mets bullpen. There's there's nothing more to add. Jack hit it on the head. There's no reason to rush Edwin back. God forbid he maybe re-injures himself. I have no right. right. Like there's just no need to risk it. I think the only argument is like maybe you want to give him some uh, real time reps at the end of the season. But guess what? If he needs reps, he can go do live at bats against the yep. guys on it. He can go pitch to Pete Alonso the exactly. same way that Loaiza could pitch to Judge early in the year. Like you don't need to throw him into a game, right? Like, no, sim games. Give. He has as much time as he needs to recover. There's no point in him rushing back. And got to look at guys that, like, hey, next year, if you're, like, semi-trying to win, I know the Mets, like, real winning window was, like, in two years, but, like, you don't know what's going to happen next year. Maybe you get ahead of schedule that, like, you might not want to, like, spend a bunch of time trying to develop guys if you're trying to win games. Right. These games don't matter right now. Develop and, and get a look at everyone that you need to get a look at. And even if it was Jack. possible, there I, I don't even see a rehab stint as something that could have been in the question unless the Mets were really in it. I, I completely agree with you, Lou. 
if I just stole he, Jack's point. If, if, if you kind of did, I agree with both of you. On, on, to, on today's that. episode of breaking sports news that doesn't matter at all, ESPN let us know 20 minutes ago that the MLB will use neutral pitch clock operators for postseason Huge. games. What does it's that important. mean? Oh, uh, Sean Doolittle. It means they don't. I mean, I think so, random news. What? Shout out that guy, Sean Doolittle. Sean oh, Doolittle oh my retired. god! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, he did. Retire. This is why we pushed Nosebleeds back so we could break that news. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We did. We, you know, no, Sean Doolittle. That was premeditated. He was a good closer. He was on a World Series team. He was on a World Series team, and he was a great closer. Big part. He was a. He is a MLB closer of all time. <laughs> wow. But neutral pitch clock operators. I think it means. <laughs> I think it means the pitch clock operators at different parks belong, like work for the team. I, I think that's what it means. I I didn't click on the article. That would make sense. Didn't know that they weren't neutral before. That's crazy, right? Yeah, you'd think they'd be MLB operated, but anywho, you know, every single one of them is your cousin essentially. But let's let's talk about Kodai saying. Oh, a clock operator cannot work a postseason game involving the team whose games the operator times during the regular season. Cousin, exactly. I, you couldn't have said it any better. That is Jack Warner's cousin operating the game clock. <laughs> Please set the timer. That's crazy. Kodai Senga, though, guys. Yep. With the Mets. Let's finish up the Mets. Yeah, let's we'll, do it. Because then we got a big topic with Kodai Senga. He's involved. He's totally involved in what we're going to bring up next. But Kodai Senga, he's putting together quite the phenomenal season. He is age 30. Age 30. And rookie. he will be a rookie. 30. He will be a... Top three, probably top two finisher in rookie of the year. Top two. Finishing. Yeah, top two. Not two. No, nah, yeah, probably two. We'll talk about that in a second. But, guys, he's been phenomenal. He's second in ERA in uh, the National League. Started off the season, like, just not totally amazing and has just progressed so well at the major league level. Um, Definitely the forefront of this Mets rotation, believe it or not. He was going to be the three-starter. And look at where we're at now. Um, for Kodai, he'll finish with over 200 strikeouts. He probably has another start, maybe two, maybe. We'll see where the Mets want to go with him. Finish around 170 innings pitched, presumably. But 12-7 and seven with a 2.96 ERA. Um, I just want to jump right to the chase and rookie of the year. Where do you guys see him stacking up against Corbin Carroll? I really think that's the only other option in the National League that you can give that number one spot to for me it's still Carroll but I think Senga, you have you have a conversation and you talk it out and after that conversation you go Corbin Carroll's the rookie of the year because Corbin Carroll is a stud he's awesome he's a special talent 50 stolen bases 25 home runs like this special guy ha- having a fantastic rookie season Kodai Kodai's pretty special too I think he's pretty special as the the second second up runner-up rookie of the year right behind Carroll like he he really made a nice push. That sub three ERA looks really nice. Yeah, I just don't know if you can give it to him over Corbin Carroll. I also think it hurts Kodai a little more. I understand that it's a singular player award, but a lot of times a better performing team can prop up a player a little bit yep. in the sense that they almost look like more of a contributor to the team's successes. Yeah, absolutely. So when you have Corbin Carroll who's playing, they're not like I'm not saying that the, you know they're a, they're World Series bound, but they're making the playoff hunt in the National League very 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 interesting. Interesting. Um, I do think that Corbin Carroll has the edge. He also plays every day too. I think that, plays <laughs> that a lot is also into it. Uh, Kodai. You know, every fifth day he goes out there and he gives you his best. 
But that's Rick, what's yeah, going to hurt Yeah, rookie of the year is tough for pitchers. It, it really like, is. It is. You really so have to have a weak offensive The class. same way that, like, it's tough for the pitcher to win the MVP. Like, right. it's like you really have to have, like, like when Michael Fulmer won rookie of the year, it's because the, the the next closest guy was Gary Sanchez with, like, 40 games played, yeah. right? Like, there was no yeah. hitter that was in the take of that year. Like, when you have a guy like Corbin Carroll that's been hitting the whole season, it's tough to give it to Sanga unless Sanga's, like, far and away, like, more in the Cy Young conversation than I think he is right now. Right? Yeah, uh, Carroll's been batting around 280 or over it for the entire year, which is unreal, unbelievable. And the 50 stolen bags, obviously a big talking point for this season. Those numbers significantly through the roof now, but still, you know, noteworthy. Maybe in a few years with these big bases, 50 won't look as glamorous as it looks right now but right now 25 home runs and 50 stolen bases at 23 years old it's going to be tough to win the rookie of the year somebody on the somebody on the defensive sanga might say that last week it was it was or a week or two ago it was uh mets diamondbacks and uh carol went 0 for 3 against oh that's it there it's over decide it it's done give it to sanga sanga i'm just kidding but sanga though to segue into our next topic we're done with our locals for now, get them out. They're toast. They've been toast. Um, Kodai Senga, though, will finish probably second in rookie of the year, but probably third in the NL Cy Young race. Now, let's go big picture here. Justin it. Steele, Blake Snell, Kodai Senga, Zach Gallen, all pretty much in the race. It's starting to waver a little bit now, though. I think if Senga like throws a perfect game in his last start, oh, if he throws a perfect game, <laughs> that's what needs to happen. If, if Cody Senga does the best thing you can ever do, then right? let's have a conversation. Let's have a conversation. But it's looking like it's going to be Blake Snell, which is still it's to me it's going to be one of the more intriguing finishes. We were talking talking about it uh, pre-show here. Uh, Blake Snell, lowest ERA in Major League Baseball, not just the National League, but he also leads the league in walks. Walks per nine is at, what is it, five flat, 5.7 hits per nine. That leads the Major Leagues. It, it, it's going to be a weird finish and a weird win for Blake Snell, but that is the most prob- probably go to him. That's the most problematic stat line right? I've ever heard in my life. And I do think that, though, I think that stat line specifically depending on how it's interpreted also makes the case for why Snell's reign this year is a lot more impressive we were talking about this before the show that obviously you 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 connect the dots the captain obvious statement if he's leading in walks that means he's quite used to having base runners on right it means he may see more base runners than the average elite pitcher average average average, you know Cy Young participant you know sees and the fact that he maintains the lowest ERA in the league means he can throw under, he can pitch under pressure. He knows how to make outs. He knows how to get strikeouts in big positions with runners on base. He knows how to get, you know, he, he knows how to get, he knows how to get out of innings. He knows how to get out of trouble. And um, I think having the lowest ERA is impressive on its own. But then group that in with making, you know, almost setting yourself up for not failure, but putting yourself in some danger by walking so many batters and still maintaining the lowest ERA, I can't really rationalize where you don't give the award to him. Yeah, there was a like a couple weeks ago, I really thought it was going to go to Justin Steele, but I think his ERA dropping down to three flat hurts him a lot just because Snell was leading the league with 2.33. Because I, I do think there's a conversation to be had, well, hey, like, Snell's walking a ton of guys, like, that's not good. It's impressive that he's not laying up any runs, right? but, like, other guys that were in the mix 
Gallon, Strider, Justin Steele don't really have the walks as an issue as much. Strider has the best whip in the National League, but, I mean, his ERA is skyrocketed. It's still, it's Snell, I think Snell is pretty clearly emerged as the number one in my eyes. I don't think Senga can get there. I know we were like kind of having that conversation. If he throws a perfect game, then like maybe <laughs> yeah, even we'll then throw I it to him. even then I really don't think so. Like he, there's no way I don't think that Senga can drop his ERA by like six points. I also think the innings pitched aspect hurts Senga. He's only at 155 and a third. So and that's largely because he often pitches on you know five days of rest rather than four. They they the Mets tried running him off four days of rest and the results were really not what they could be when he was off of five. It's gonna be interesting if. If it does go to Snell, to start thinking about Snell as a guy that's won two Cy Youngs, because in my mind, like that's not the type of not pitcher. Not just two, He's good. Oh, not oh, just oh! Two, say it. Two in both leagues. One, one in each one league. league. One in the National League. That's he, crazy. He, won, he, he had the Tampa. He had the Tampa. ERA title in Tampa too, eight, right? Like he said, two. Yeah. Really, really good years. Isn't that crazy? Would he be the, would it, he be the only? I think they said elite. I, I think the article I saw was elite company. So someone else has done it. Roy Halladay. That's Phillies, right. Phillies, Blue Jays. Clemens, that, yep, that's right. Um, there's a, there's a few others. It, like there, it, it just it doesn't feel like he's been like one of those pitchers that had like a prolonged stretch of dominance. But he's had right. two really really good years. He's, yeah, yeah, it's it's actually unbelievable, man. It, he was 25 in tw- in 2018, where he was 21 and five. That's so funny, and had a 1.89 ERA. And this year he's 14 and nine with a 2.33. In he will probably throw more innings. And he has done, he already this is his season high in strikeouts, two twenty seven right now in that Cy Young season two twenty one. So not gonna have the same ERA, but he's gonna throw more innings and he's gonna he already has more strikeouts. So pretty impressive. Max Scherzer so. also on that list. Verlander is not. Yeah, he's huh. not on that list. But it it it's pretty remarkable how a topic like that. Because only elites of the elites have done that. It's very, yeah. it's very tough to find like the full you know, to look at that list and be like, wow, there's a, there's not a single guy on here that's like that's weird. Blake Snell might be the first yeah. one. It's pretty crazy. And you know what's very interesting too, guys? Wasn't an All Star this year. D- has not gotten Cy Young or MVP. We'll just say Cy Young. He got MVP votes in 2018, but has not gotten a Cy Young vote or an All Star selection since 2018. And this will be another season where he gets votes. It's kind of it's so interesting because you look at that gap: four two nine, three two four, four twenty, three thirty eight, and now a two three three. It's just it's so it's weird. He's a, he's it's a weird, weird pitcher. He is a weird pitcher because he just he throws. He's always thrown hard. It was you know he never had great control. You have to when we go back and we look at this season, you're just gonna have to go back and give credit to Gary Sanchez. He's the guy that sparked the turnaround he's for Blake Sanchez. Snell. <laughs> he's always it's been all the about Gary Sanchez. It's always been about always Gary been Sanchez. Sanchez. It, it's still it still is like hard to watch. I mean, not that I watch, not that I go out of my way to watch it, but like if it ever were to show up in my phone, it would just it's it's really hard to watch. Uh, Blake Snell getting pulled from that World Series game. One of the in, worst decisions. It, ever. Bad the decision. It wasn't. It was ta- one of the best. Sports or non-sports. That is one of the worst decisions. That is the premature of premature decisions. Too analytical. They too. went. They went a little too in over their head on the analytics. How does this right affect there. Statcast's legacy? I think they're doing just fine. I think it's just a little blip yeah, in the action. Right, right. Um, what about baseball savant? 
Baseball's Vaughn's doing great. It's, yeah, I got it. I got the. I got them up on the. Never the my baseball right savant now. stock is way up. My Wi-Fi has completely crashed for the last twenty minutes. So yeah, it's been I a can't problem. pull yeah, anything. Fordham off. University, can you get it together? Fangraphs Fan just hasn't cooperated. Baseball yeah. Reference has done a solid job. Baseball savant's been up. We've been okay. See, I was trying to find a list, and I got a little bit of a buffering. Clearly, yeah, a tuition buffering is not going reference. to the Wi-Fi routers. No, thank no. you for that. Things happen. Never know. Shout out Tanya Tetlow. <laughs> no, for real. Shout out Tanya Tetlow. Well, we got one more topic do we? on this great oh, do we? of nosebleeds. And we have a Boston Red Sox fan here. We all oh, know he covers the New York Mets, as we said. Got, got, to, got to go to Fenway. He went to Fenway. Got, went to Fenway to Saw cover the pesky pole. Johnny Pesky, not known for his power stroke. Not known for, not known for the power. No. But Jack Warner, our very own, he's right there. Mm. Um, yeah. He's right there. Yeah. <laughs> his Boston Red Sox, they fired High in bloom after four seasons, a pretty forgettable tenure. We'll see, though. In a couple years, it, we could be sitting back and being like, wow, High in bloom really built what the Red Sox have right now, and he's well, on some other team. Well, that's the thing. Forgettable tenure at the level that we can see. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people, like, not many as many people consume minor league baseball. Yeah. So I think definitely a, forget- a forgettable ten- tenure at the most viewed level, right. which is what's most important. It's what he's hired to do. But it's a... Even though I think it's the right move, and even though he frust- he made decisions that frustrated me greatly, which I'll get into in a moment, it does it it, it is a bit of like a damn they really did him like yeah. that because he did really bring this you know just a few years ago under Dombrowski because again Dombrowski was known as a spend now develop the youth later type leader so and that that one that did win us World Series we we owe Dave Dombrowski a lot of gratitude. But during that time, like we talked about before the show, it was usually a Red Sox World Series win, and then the following year, a Red Sox dumpster fire. Yeah, like last and, place bad. And yes, and for the for most of the 2010s, we had obviously besides when Mookie came up through the ranks, um, that's probably our best prospect of the 2010s. Besides, you know, majority of the 2010s, the Red Sox. Uh, consistently had one of the worst farm systems in baseball yeah consistently so that is a a w that does make you feel a little bit of sympathy for high and bloom but there are several several hiccups at the major league level this is this is my take on it because it's kind of a it's a two-way street in my opinion i think overall good move for the red sox it's a shame because of how much work he did do to the farm system. You guys went from probably a bottom five farm system to a top three farm system in those four years. Mm-hmm. However, though, Dave Dombrowski, something that he doesn't normally do. Let's take a look at those teams right now. Those Tigers teams, awesome. You were the, you witnessed those Tigers teams, all made Lived there. by Dave Dombrowski. What has happened since? They have not returned to relevancy since the departure of Dave Dombrowski and that whole core that they had at the time, Prince Fielder, Miguel Cabrera, Scherzer, Verlander, Fister. I cannot believe I just put Doug Fister in the core. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, Fister. Doug Fister was a guy. Doug Fister. Anibal Sanchez and Rick Porcello. But Dombrowski did great things for them. On that team, I think. What I, what I think that Dombrowski doesn't normally do, because obviously look at the Tigers, the Red Sox were in a position after 2018 to continue to dominate the American League East. Oh, we could have been a dynasty. I think. Without a doubt. Well, I don't know about dynasty. But I would uh, say. No, I, I, I would say. So. I would say. I, a di- I think. I don't know if you guys had the pitching for it. But um, 
I don't know if you had a deep enough rotation to go like to win three, four World Series. I think you could have won another one at least, but I don't know about three. Should have kept Mookie. Should have kept Mookie. That was that was the demise right. early on of so, Highland Bloom, right? Yeah. So he keeps one guy in Rafael Devers, but he could not keep not even a second person of that core between Zant. Bender, Bogarts, and Devers. And the other thing I would like to point out is not only was it a inability to keep Bogarts, right? But I'm not I'm not gonna jump on here and give a whole Red Sox rant because that's not what we're talking about. But nope. Te- Trevor Story has been objectively bad with the Boston Red Sox. Pushed Bogarts out of town. And you can't help but wonder I mean, that was the moment I knew we lost Xander Bogarts, truthfully. Now granted he also asked for a longer contract than the Red Sox were looking to he's he's over thirty years old and he was asking for an eleven year contract. That's that's a that's an investment. You can and that's have ballsy. a debate about whether or not he's worth that. One right. or two but, World Series. Oh, I two. think I think I think the Padres absolutely overpaid. I'm happy for Xander because I love him. So that's that's good for him. They but I do think the Padres overpaid. But the problem is they jumped the gun on Trevor Story, who, yes, had things that were very marketable, had tools that are very marketable. But it was also clear as day the worries that people had about Trevor Story. And it was even things as simple as home road splits. Talking about, oh, you know, he hits this many home runs as a shortstop. Does he ever hit a home run that's not in the state of Colorado? (laughs) Things like that where, you know. In Yankee Stadium, yeah. Yeah, right, exactly. So That that doesn't count. So. They make a very premature decision, and not only and not only that, not only was it Bogarts's position, but they spend a lot of money on Trevor Story, and then they draft a shortstop in the first and round. draft Marcelo a shortstop Meyer. in the first round, right? So there's a lot of decisions, right, that really did not make a whole lot of sense. That's the thing. If the, if if some of the decisions made sense, you don't have to agree with them, but. The return on investment, I understand. I like Verdugo. I like Alex Verdugo. The return on investment for the Mookie deal, not good. Yeah, awful trade. What? What the hell? Why would you? You have downs, man. The best doesn't play on the team. The best baseball. He was the best baseball player in the world for when they traded him. When they traded him, he was the best baseball player in the world. He was the first player because for the majority of our adolescence, right, they said it was Mike Trout. Like even if Mike Trout didn't lead in home runs, he was the best. He was the best. He's the best baseball player in the world. Trout and then Mookie in MVP voting. That Boston Red Sox and Mookie Betts, the Boston Red Sox World Series, Mookie Betts MVP. That little time frame, he was unequivocally the best baseball player in the world, and they just let him walk. So you see these decisions where you're like, all right, the Red Sox, they've come close. They went and they made the ALCS in 21. But you can't you can't look at the Heim Bloom decision with any sort of shock. I don't think I've anyone got, I've does. I have a quick question for you. How is that 2021 ALCS appearance viewed? Because I feel like that's yeah. the peak of the Heim Bloom era. It's a great and it's question. like you lucked into I feel like you lucked into. Yeah, it was a premature entrance, I would say. It was a very premature entrance, but also that was pre. So think about it. it, it I, well, it does. It is an interesting layer to the conversation because, right, that is the most successful season under a, the yep. Heim Bloom Red Sox. Mm-hmm. But again, you make the ALC. So, like, think about this: you win a World Series, and the f- most notable decision after winning that World Series is losing Mookie Betts. <laughs> then you make it. A you make an ALCS run that shocked everyone. Yep. 
and your first notable move since then is trading Xander Bogarts. So it's like we're letting him walk. So it's like it's like you don't. How do you expect any sort of longevity when there has been shown? I've been shown no. I've been given no reason to believe that there has been any, you know, sort of urge to keep the players that bring us to those series around. The first, the most notable decisions after each successful Red Sox season are the awful ones. <laughs> it's 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 the truth. Am I wrong? You're not. No, no, not at all. It's man. it's always these boneheaded decisions. You're gonna finish this season worse than the Yankees. We are. It's I mean, crazy. They it, fumbled. We're the really opportunity bad. to win multiple championships really badly. Like yep. not just fumbled, but like set back, and now they're kind of on the upswing. By the way, I'd like to add that that's a community service we chose to we chose to come in fifth because we felt bad oh for, and we appreciate for it. for the curb stomping we need the curb no, we need the it. curb stomping that ensued for majority of the year except for that last series at Fenway when it was my it was the double a rosters playing against each 2019 other 2019 Yankees would not be the same without the Red Sox that is true so pitiful in a year <laughs> not so pitiful I believe they won 84 games they but felt bad they won 108 the year before yes almost won 30 more games. They did win 30 more games mm. than what they won in 2019. Yankees it's won 100 just, games a year and it didn't matter. Did not matter. <laughs> Out in six. See you in Cabo. <laughs> Out Has not said the Astros. Oh, God. It's terrible. Let's wrap this up. I can't do this <laughs> I want to go home. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's time to go home. So, well, this was a lot of fun, though, guys. A lot of baseball to talk about, even though we're winding down. Two weeks left. Probably less than that. Yanks Mets are done and it's hockey season it is it is hockey season as we said in the beginning of the show five on three will return to the studio next week but that is going to do it for this episode of nosebleeds Yanks and Mets are out the NL Cy Young race is just about wrapped up kind of like the AL and where are the Red Sox going to go with high on bloom we'll just have to wait and see but for Jack Warner and Lou Orlando I'm Will Talent and we're saying peace yo from WFUV Studios.